So welcome to worship at Seattle Mennonite Church. We continue our summer worship series in which we are listening and learning. This Sunday with Pastor Amy reflecting on what we have heard, both from black preachers that we've been listening to and the apostles of the early church in the stories of Acts. Our scripture this week has Paul claiming his citizenship, both in the reign of God and also in Rome, and using Rome, his Roman status to challenge, to demand justice. He is both a disciple and citizen. We start with our acknowledgement of the land. Regardless of our citizenship or our status or location on this continent, we are gathered on the land of First Peoples. Here in Seattle, we are on the lands of the Duwamish tribe, a people who were here before state and country, a people still alive and active in this city and making their own demands for justice and equality and equity for their people. Our call to worship is based on Micah 6. I'm going to read the call to worship if you would like to speak the response, Micah 868. Amy will post these words for you to speak along with Jen as the, in the response. Children of God, it is time for you to take off your shoes, step out of your comfort zone, and wade with trust into the stream of God's mercy. Stand still for a moment, barefoot on holy ground. Let the healing waters wash your feet. Take a deep breath as love soaks into your soul. And be silent and listen for God's word to us today. God has told you, O oh people, what is good. Do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with your God. How should we worship our God? We have heard what the Lord requires of us. Leave empty talk and pride behind. We must walk the walk. Prepare to step out in faith, even into troubled waters. Only God knows where we might need to go. Don't be afraid. Jesus will guide our steps along the way, teaching us to walk humbly, to love boldly, to serve God with body, soul, mind, and strength. Let us pray for the humility and courage to follow where the Spirit leads. Our gathering song will be Seek Ye First the Kingdom of God, led by Robin and Mike. So there's a number of ways we could do this, but since we're in, we all know this pretty well, I'm gonna sing all the way through um, both, twice, the first two, the two verses, including the Alleluia at the end. And you can sing along at home whatever part you want and make it sound however you want. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and God's righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. Alleluia, alleluia. Alleluia. 
We light the peace candle each week to acknowledge that we both witness to and participate in God's vision for a just peace for all creation. Today, we pray for the many dedicated people who work abroad in international development and humanitarian aid. Thinking of the toll that the coronavirus is having on their work, their families, their physical and mental health. For many, work has essentially been put on hold because of the risks to themselves as well as their colleagues in the field. Some have come home and are not likely to return until there's a vaccine. Many whom I work with are involved, who are involved in agricultural research, missing, simply missing one season can set a program back for multiple years. For people in public health, waiting it out isn't an option. Many continue to work or volunteers, but their families have been sent home. So there's that additional burden of worrying about family, a family member at risk while they're apart, perhaps indefinitely. What I hear almost daily from those that I connect with is a growing sense of weariness and frustration, all eager to get back to work that they're passionate about. Together, we long for a just peace. We pray for a just peace. And we live, choose to live for a just peace. Peace be with you and also with you. Amy's going to lead us in our children's story. Oh, I'm sorry, the candle. And now for our children's story. Thank you, Lauren and Jen. Uh, for our children's time this week, I'm gonna read the book, Preaching to the Chickens. <clears throat> this is a childhood story of a recently deceased uh, Congressman John Lewis, whom, uh, whom we have, many of us have heard quoted recently that he asks us to get in good trouble. Uh, and in some ways, that is what the Apostle Paul is doing in his work to travel and spread the story of Jesus, getting in trouble, but good trouble. So this is called Preaching to Chickens. Little John Lewis loved the spring. He loved it not only because it was the time when the whole planet came alive, but also because it was the season of chicks. Winter was too cold to bring them safely into the world and summer was too hot. Spring was just right. Everyone on the farm had work to do. Work and put your trust in God, John's mama liked to say, and God's gonna take care of God's children. Trusting in God was easy, but work was a harder bargain. There was just so much to do on a huge farm in southern Alabama. Every March, John's father hitched the plow to his stubborn old mule. Giddy up, he'd shout, and together they'd break new ground, carving lines in the earth. In the fall, after months of planting, weeding, and tending, the cotton would be ready for picking. John's mother cooked the family meals from the vegetables she sowed, collards, tomatoes, sweet potatoes, and other goodies. She cleaned the family's clothes in a big iron pot, stirring them in boiling water and washing them with homemade soap before hanging them on the line to dry. 
Yes, Lord, there was plenty of work on the farm. John was excited to be put in charge of the chickens. There were about 60 of them, Rhode Island Red, strong-winged bantams, dominiques with gray stripes as dull as dishwater and legs as yellow as daisies. John loved to see them flutter and strut and flap their wings. Every day, John got up early and fed them dried corn just shelled from the cob, then lined their nests with fresh straw. Fuck, 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 the chicken said. John knew they meant thank you. In a soft voice, John would say to them, enjoy this day that God has given us. The chickens, looking straight at him, seemed to understand. As much as John loved spring, he loved church even more. On Sundays, the whole family headed to service. John and his brothers were dressed in slacks and crisp white shirts, his sisters in neat dresses, Outside the church, friends and relatives greeted them and each other with big smiles. Inside, voices joined in song. John often listened to gospel and country music on the radio. He enjoyed it, but he found his favorite music of all in church. Plain voices praising God without any instruments at all. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. As worshipers clapped and sang, John felt the Holy Spirit rocking the room. It reminded him of the peace he felt when he roused the chickens from slumber and led them into the light of a brand new day. Like the ministers in church, John wanted to preach, so he gathered his chickens in the yard. John stretched his arms above his flock and let the words pour forth. The chickens nodded and dipped their beaks as if they agreed. They swayed to the rhythm of his voice. John's brothers and sisters couldn't tell one bird from another, but John knew every one, and he had a line or verse for each of them. Blessed are the peacemakers, he'd say when, he fought, when they fought for their morning meal. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, he would tell a hen who didn't want to share, for they shall be satisfied. One day, the rolling store man stopped by to make a trade. His truck was packed with flour, sugar, cooking oil, and bolts of cloth in bright colors. I've got plenty of good things, he said to John's mom and dad. I'll give them to you for a healthy hen. But John didn't want to part with any of his chickens, and he knew they wanted to stay with him. He convinced his parents there were other things to trade, things like eggs and seeds. The chickens stayed on the farm, and John learned to speak up for those who can't speak for themselves. When the hen called Big Bell fell into the well and got stuck, John was determined to save her. 
He filled a basket with breadcrumbs, and when he lowered it down, she climbed in and was pulled to safety. God makes miracles every day, John preached. When you're down, God lifts you up. Sister Big Bell, I believe you know what I mean. Fuck, 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 Big Bell replied. John knew she meant amen. John even baptized the chicks, bathing them in water from an old syrup can. Well, Pullet had stayed under too long and appeared to have drowned. John prayed over her and laid her in the sun. And after a while, she began to breathe again and soon was up on her feet. God can heal the sick, John declared, and raise the dead. Lil' Pullet, can I get a witness? Heep, 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 Lil' Pullet, said Lil' Pullet, and John knew that she meant amen. John loved to tell the hens and chicks about the good news. While he fed and watered them, he spoke about the value of hard work and patience. With faith and hope, he said, a bountiful harvest was sure to come. John's hen house sermons became so regular that his brothers and sisters took to calling him preacher. He didn't mind. He knew that someday he'd speak before thousands. He hoped that his words would stir people's souls and move them to action. For now, though, he had his own church right here among the pine trees and rolling hills of southern Alabama. Morning would find him in his usual place, preaching to the chickens. If you are a little bit older than picture book reading age, I would recommend the graphic novel series March, which also tells the story of John Lewis, and it starts when he's this age on his farm in Alabama, and then takes him all the way to the time when he has grown and does preach before thousands of people demanding uh, voting rights for Black Americans and demanding uh, equality and justice for his community. And to the day it's set on, uh, or it's sort of a flashback from the time of President Obama's inauguration. And so you see right up until that point in John Lewis's life. So I recommend that, or honestly, anything that this man has, has written or said. So thank you for listening to this children's sermon today. This summer we've been singing Jesus Loves Me using different languages the way it's heard in other cultures. This morning we're going to sing it in Kiswahili, the, the language of much of East Africa. Kiswahili is a, uh, a very phonetic language. It's pretty much as you see it, it, it reads. Um, and uh, although the translation is never quite direct, there's multiple translations of this. Um, but uh, the, when you look it up, the, the words essentially translate to something like, um, uh, loves me for real, God says this, we are his children, so protecting us is not a burden. Jesus the Savior loves me, really loves me, God tells us so. So it's anipenda ni kweli mungu anena hili, sisi wake watoto kutulindi si zito, yezu mokozi, Ah, nani penda, 
Hupenda Mungu Amesema. So. Ani Penda Ni Kweli Mungu Ane Nahi Sisi Wake Watoto Kutulindi Sisi To Yesu Kokozi Anani Penda morning is from Acts of the Apostles, chapter 25, verses 1 to 12. As this passage begins, Paul has been in prison for two years during the rule of the previous governor, Felix. Wanting to appease the Jewish leaders who called for Paul's death, but seeing no reason to kill him, Felix had kept Paul in jail. Now that a new governor has been installed, the Jewish leaders are again bringing their case before the Roman authorities. Now beginning chapter 25. Three days after Festus, the new governor, had arrived in the province, he went up from Caesarea to Jerusalem, where the chief priests and the Jewish authorities gave him a report against Paul. They appealed to him and requested, as a favor to them against Paul, to have him transferred to Jerusalem. They were, in fact, planning an ambush to kill him along the way. Festus replied that Paul was being kept at Caesarea and that he himself intended to go there shortly. So, he said, let those of you who have the authority come down with me. And if there is anything wrong about the man, let them accuse him. After he had stayed among them for not more than eight or ten days, he went down to Caesarea. The next day, he took his seat on the tribunal and ordered Paul to be brought. When he arrived, the Jews who had gone down from Jerusalem surrounded him, bringing many serious charges against him, which they could not prove. Paul said, in his defense, I have in no way committed an offense against the law of the Jews or against the temple or against the emperor. But Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, asked Paul, 
do you wish to go up to Jerusalem and be tried there before me on these charges? Paul said, I am appealing to the emperor's tribunal. This is where I should be tried. I've done no wrong to the Jews, as you very well know. Now, if I am in the wrong and have committed something for which I deserve to die, I'm not trying to escape death. But if there is nothing to their charges against me, no one can turn me over to them. I appeal to the emperor. Then Festus, after he had conferred with his council, replied, you have appealed to the emperor, to the emperor you will go. For the word of God in scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us. Thanks, Thanks be, be to, to God. God. Thanks be to God, indeed. That's quite a way to end a story, to the emperor you will go. Uh, and it's not the end of the story, uh, because Paul does then go on a uh, boat trip, and there's a storm, and he does get to Rome. Um, Paul is, is drawing on his Roman citizenship uh, in addition to his faith when he comes before the governor to defend himself. Faith and citizenship, following Jesus. Uh, historically, in Mennonite theology, there has been uh, sort of described as maybe, or I've thought of it, I don't know if this is the way it's actually been described, but the way I've imagined it, two columns, like a two-column system, two kingdoms, it's been called. The kingdom of the world in column A, the kingdom of, of the citizenship of God, the reign of God in column B, and there's no interaction between those two. If I'm a Christian, my sole citizenship is in the reign of God. And, uh, or one may possibly think maybe of more like a Venn diagram, but two circles. And they, maybe where those circles might overlap is where, you know, you have to conduct commerce or, uh, you know, there might be some places where you might overlap with the world a little bit, but more, but mostly as Mennonite, historically, theology has thought about Christians as being apart from the world in the world, but not of the world, uh, or maybe actually more aptly Mennonites have thought of themselves as uh, two planes closer to God. We Mennonites, we're up here closer to God, and the world is, uh, is down on a different plane. There has always been an allegiance to God's reign versus the kingdom of this world, in the world, but not of the world. And I think of my Mennonite uh, forebears, my history, my ancestors fled for, to Russia from Prussia, escaping the need to engage in warfare in that part of Europe. They gained citizenship in Russia, but didn't truly see themselves as citizens, again, because they wanted to opt out of military service. And yet, they had access to many privileges, privileges of land ownership, privileges of education, and great wealth that came along with their expertise in farming and with that land ownership. And the same is true then when my ancestors arrived in Canada, in, 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 in the prairies. They gained citizenship there as white European immigrants. They gained land that had been stolen. They gained wealth. They gained access to health care. 
And yet, they saw themselves as outside the citizen, the, the system of citizen, citizenship. They were the quiet in the land. As I listen to and learn from Black leaders this summer, one of the things that I keep hearing or that I, I, that I hear again and again is that at no point can Black folks take their belonging in this nation for granted. Citizenship is, in fact, a thing to claim to use, to name. And those folks may well be more in line with how the early church and in fact with how the Apostle Paul viewed the relationship between citizenship and nation and faith. For a long time, I chose not to pursue American citizenship, or I should say United States citizenship. Although I have been living here almost two decades now, and that is a little bit astonishing to me, you may have heard me complain about how long it took to process my naturalization this past year. And that was, that was partly my own fault. In fact, maybe it was mostly my own fault because by my own choice, I dragged my feet. And more and more, I've been recognizing what a privilege it is to be able to choose. I do not have to think about my safety. My belonging, my belonging is never questioned, except very occasionally someone clocks my accent. Uh, my children are not likely to be taken from me. They are not in danger from law enforcement. And I have known this for a long time. I recognized this when I was applying for uh, my visa to get married to my spouse. Uh, and yet, now as I'm realizing really how great a privilege citizenship is and that I have been able to choose it or not if I didn't feel like it. Uh, now that I feel I know better, I am hope to be able to do better. Uh, Naomi, who is here with me, but trying not to be acknowledged, uh, has sometimes called herself half American, half Canadian. Uh, because she in our family is the one who was born here, but has also gained Canadian citizenship through me. Uh, she was the first one in our family to be a dual citizen. But we have told her that in fact, she is 100% each of those, 100% American, 100% Canadian. There's no halving about it. And when I consider my identity, I sometimes feel like I hold American citizenship, but I am Canadian. But really, truly, I am neither of those things. I am 100% though a member of the reign of God, a citizenship of God's kingdom. For Paul, who was Jewish and a Roman citizen by, by virtue of his birth in an occupied, the Roman-occupied city of Tarsus, Citizenship for Paul was a tool for witness to God's kingdom. His Jewishness was a tool for witness to the kingdom of God. For Paul, all parts of his identity were a way to claim and name the good news of Jesus Christ. His citizenship was a legal status, but Paul's identity was in Jesus. Witness was the only way to use the privilege of citizenship. Uh, for this sermon, I returned to the commentary that Megan and I had planned to use for a whole series this summer by uh, Willie James Jennings. And 
uh, as a black leader, I thought his words, it, just the way he interprets acts says so much speaks into this moment that we're in around the movement for black lives. In his commentary, he says about the apostle Paul, Paul has not now nor ever trusted the judicial process. His trust is in God. He is outmaneuvering his enemies and living to fight another day. If Paul had stayed in Jerusalem rather than appealing to his citizenship in Rome, rather than appealing to the empire, if he had stayed in Jerusalem and gone before the Jewish authorities, or even led again in front of Rome, the Roman governors there in Jerusalem, he would have ended up dead. He knows this. He knows both that the people, the Jewish authorities there in Jerusalem had it out for him. They had been planning to ambush. They had been planning to attack. They were trying whatever means possible to get Paul out of the way. And they had held on to this grudge during the two years that he was in prison. They had kept, they had kept at it, kept trying to get him out of the way. So Paul is calling on his privilege, the privilege of his citizenship, to essentially request a stay, a transfer, because he's a citizen, it's granted. Citizenship is not a primary identity for Paul, but it is a tool to call on the authorities to recognize his humanity and his rights as a member of that community. In this reading of Paul, who is living to fight another day, as Jennings says, I thought of folks like Josie Duffy Rice, who many of us heard talk about police abolition a month or so ago and local leader Nikita Oliver. Both of these women and the other abolitionists don't trust the judicial process, even though they are lawyers themselves. They are using their citizenship, their belonging in this system, and their proximity to power through their legal education, through their knowledge. They are using that proximity to undermine the system, the empire, to take it apart, not because they trust the system, but because it allows their survival and the survival of their community, the way they use it. And I thought, too, of the Duwamish tribe, whom we recognize each Sunday, who claim their United States citizenship, a nation that colonized them and denied them, who said they don't even exist, not because they love this colonizing government or trust it, the system that ex excludes indigenous people. The because by claiming their citizenship, it will ensure continuity of their community and protection and survival of their people. Jennings says, disciples of Jesus should be desperate citizens. The desperate citizen will press their citizenship as far as possible for the sake of thwarting death and its agents. Christian disciples of Jesus who are black, who are the descendants of slaves, have never had the luxury, as white Mennonites have, like myself, of being able to opt out of citizenship. Recognition of citizenship, even of full personhood, has been hard fought. And folks like John Lewis were a part of that fight. Jennings says, we too often imagine citizenship from the privileged position of option. And when he says we, I wonder if he's actually saying we, 
you, white folk, too often imagine citizenship from the privileged position of options, to become involved in politics or not, to concern ourselves with contentious issues or not, to claim our citizenship or not, to speak out or to remain silent. But there is a quote that's going around social media lately. I'm sure you've heard versions of it. To say you are not political is to say you are for politics of the status quo. We individually in our congregation, each of us, hold various levels of privilege, whether we are white or not. There's all different kinds and citizenship is one. And as a church, we have a great deal of privilege, not just our incredible wealth, although that is certainly one, but our respected position in our community, a level of education and skill within our community, the land we're about to develop, our majority whiteness as a congregation. I'm sure you can think of many more. While many Black folks in churches and nonprofits have to scramble and work multiple jobs and do advocacy in their small amount of spare time, they ask what we have done with our wealth. And we are well served to sit in the discomfort of that question. We have a greater proximity to Caesar, to empire, than we would like to admit. The purpose of citizenship for a disciple of Jesus, says Willie James Jennings, is to use the emperor's gold to break the emperor's hold on our lives and to use the systems that construct pawns to shatter the chains of servitude. And folks, we have a lot of gold. Just as Mennonite theology has seen an evolution over the past century from passive non-resistance. So about a century ago, a little more, that was sort of a, that quiet in the land meant we'll just opt out, we won't say, we'll be quiet, we'll be non-resistant, uh, <clears throat> non so anything goes, just as long as you don't involve me, to active non-violence. It's seen Mennonites raising our voices for justice, getting involved in nonviolent resistance. So our pacifism has seen that evolution, and I think the church is beginning to shift from quiet in the land, non-engagement, to a just peace theology that actively, actively engages empire systems in order to tear them down, and may it be so. I listened again to Shannon Dykus and Austin Channing Brown this week. Each of those preachers begin their sermons with mothers who are lamenting their children. Children killed by injustices built into the nations of which they are citizens. Saying names from scripture like Rizpah, saying names from our nation like Sandra Bland. And then Jesus calls out the city that stones its prophets. And Rizpah stakes herself on a hill in protest. And their lament transforms to action. We're going to hear this summer two more black preachers, black prophets, 
in the summer series. But I pray that our ears may be that may continue to be open even beyond that to voices who are calling on the church to engage in action for justice, to use our citizenship and not to opt out. I pray that we will continue to listen and learn not only to our Christian kindred, but to prophets from across the Black community, to sit with the discomfort that comes with understanding our privilege of whiteness or education or marital status or age or position or citizenship. May we who are disciples be desperate citizens. And in that desperation, may we seek not only survival, but justice, shalom, a just peace for all of God's creation. Amen. I'll play a, just a brief interlude. During this time, you're invited to consider what prayers you'd like to raise up. You can use the chat to message everyone or directly to just Pastor Amy, who will lead our prayers. It's a gift to be able to breathe and invite God's spirit into our prayer this morning. I invite all of you to take a breath as we begin. <sighs> Let's pray together. Most merciful God, we wait before you, aware of our frailty aware of the fragility of our world and the peoples of the earth. We remember that we are dust, and to dust we will return. Yet you are our creator. You are our redeemer. Hear our pleas. Hear our cries for mercy. We wait before you in the midst of a weeping and sinful world. Have mercy, O oh God, on our world on the places of violence, on leaders who make war, on people who hope for peace. We pray for our world. Have mercy, O oh God. We wait before you in the midst of betrayal and broken relationships. Have mercy, O oh God, on our families and all whom we love, on children and parents alienated from each other, 
on husbands and wives and spouses who have forgotten how to love, on friends who wound each other, on churches struggling to live in peace. We pray for our friends, our families, our colleagues and fellow believers. Have mercy, O oh God. We wait before you in the midst of sickness, grief, and death. Have mercy, O oh God, on all of those in pain, those facing trials and temptations, those who are discouraged or bereft, those whose hearts are full of fear. We pray for all in need of healing and comfort. Have mercy, O oh God. We pray a blessing of protection and more protection and more protection on college students beginning or returning to studies this fall. With the added burden of maintaining boundaries due to COVID, in addition to new patterns of study and life, we pray God for your presence and guidance. And a special prayer for Sam from his folks as he heads to George Fox this Friday, which I noticed in the chat. We pray for all teachers and students who are educating and being educated in a new environment. Create connection and inspire learning in spite of these barriers. We pray for our excellent and beloved office administrator, Marsha, who's had a troubling resurgence of back pain. May she find healing and rest in these coming days. And I turn to the chat. We pray for the Holy Spirit's guidance for our spiritual leadership team who meets on August 26th. With gratitude, pray with Beth and Ken for West and Avon who are celebrating their birthdays. West celebrating his sixth birthday today and Avon who will turn nine on Tuesday. With Robin and Mike, we give thanks that Nate found a new job this week, truly something to celebrate in these days. We pray with Nancy and Ani for Kean as he heads back to Willamette University in Salem this week. With Ruth, we offer prayers for two friends who are going through messy divorces. Prayer also for adults and children and at home and quarantined with abusers and all who struggle mightily in a time when there is no way to with Robin and Mike, we pray too for Brian and Katie and all the teachers beginning a difficult year. I have fought it often. May they be safe. May they find the supports that they need. You are merciful, God. Your love never ends. We rest in your care. In Jesus' name we pray. We move now to the time of our offerings, perhaps one of the more awkward parts of doing virtual church. Yet we are grateful for all the gifts that each of you offer to our congregation, monetary and otherwise. And we are grateful for the means to collect offerings digitally. Today, we bless the work of our campus planning team who has spent time this week in discernment about with about architects who've submitted proposals for new construction of the Lake City property. 
May the Spirit guide the team and our partners at Community Roots Housing as they continue this discernment process. For our closing hymn, Robin's going to lead us in, What Does the Lord Require? So this one has parts, and so what we're going to do is sing through um, each part individually twice. So we'll sing through the bass line twice, then the alto tenor line twice, then the soprano line twice, and then we'll sing once through all three. I'll sing all three in order, and you can pick whichever part is appropriate to you, and we'll all hear something a little bit different. What does the Lord require of you? 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 Mm, justice, kindness, walk humbly with your God. Justice, kindness, walk humbly with your God. To seek justice and love kindness and walk humbly with your God. To seek justice and love kindness and walk humbly with your God. So here's the bass note. The alto note, alto tenor note. And the soprano. What does the Lord require of you? What does the Lord require of you? Justice, kindness, walk humbly with your God. To seek justice and love kindness and walk humbly with your God. And now for the benediction. May the God who shakes heaven and earth, whom death could not contain, who lives to disturb and heal us, bless you with the power to go forth and proclaim the gospel. Amen.